Well, I don't have an ugly sweater at home. <coughs> I have a sweater, actually, that has true Christmas colors, the true color of red, both for Christmas and a hockey team. Because we live in a city that has a different color of red, but it's not the right color of red. So anyway, <coughs> I know that Montreal really isn't doing super well right now, so I will take it off just so that it's not a super big distraction during the service. But there you go. I'll, I'll take good care of it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So in July 2011, the now Prince and Princess of Wales, more commonly known as William and Kate, made their inaugural visit to Calgary, Alberta. And I remember I've only been to two stampede parades, and this one, as usual, you have to get up early in the morning and get your lawn chairs uh, down there to stake out a spot so you can see somewhere along the, re- the parade route. And uh, I remember attending that stampede parade with, uh, with all of our children, uh, but two of whom, Maggie and Sophie, were all dressed up for the stampede with uh, hats and cowboy boots. So hopefully you can see that. Um, Maggie did get up and dance eventually around, but Sophie was already hitting the streets. And that stampede was uh, particularly memorable because of all the waiting for the drive-by of the new royals. The streets were lined with folks sitting in lawn chairs, anxiously awaiting Kate and William's arrival. Finally, after two and a half hours, because you're sitting there since 6 a.m., no, longer than that, so it had been probably close to three hours, a police car rounded the corner not far from where we are, but I noticed that this police car was driving at 50 kilometers an hour and not the usual parade speed of maybe five kilometers an hour. And it's like I turned to Jen to say, I think something's happening, and then there's a black SUV following that police car going 50 kilometers an hour, and then I look up as it's going by, and I'm like, oh, there's... William and Kate in the back of the SUV and then I look and and Jen's like oh there they are and then it's like they're further down but one thing that did happen is that Jen saw Kate motion to Prince William to look at our girls who were all adorned in their cowboy outfits and we don't know if if Prince uh, William got to see that but Kate did and Wow, that was quite a wait for such a short, fleeting moment of glory, uh, but there we were. At the end of it, it was kind of one of those won't won't moments because it just happened so fast, like they just drove by so fast. All that waiting, and then it was done. And then you have to sit through the parade. I'm not a parade person, um, but we did it. I think I saw harm, so that made it all worth it. So, waiting to get a glimpse of kings, queens, Caesars, or other monarchs parading by dates back thousands of years. Here's a picture of Vespasians. He was a Roman emperor in the middle of the first century A.D., his triumphal entry into Rome. And uh, it might be not that hard to see. So you can see lots of stuff going on there um, with war horses. I think Vespasian is standing right up uh, behind those gray horses that, wow, magically are all up on their hind legs at just the right time. 
few feral dogs wandering around, but generally it's great fanfare as he's uh, parading, maybe victorious in battle, coming back into the, to the city of Rome, and it's certainly something you don't want to miss. And so in Latin terms, this is like an adventus. It's, it's the appearance of, of a king or a monarch, and it's a really big deal because of all of the things that kings and monarchs do for the inhabitants of the city over which they rule like win battles and are victorious at pushing back threatening hostile forces of other nations. So you naturally celebrate them um, when they are victorious in battle and come to the land in which they reign. Of course, Vespasian, his home base is uh, Rome. And so it's, this is where we get it. The fanfare that greeted the prince and princess of Wales when they came to Calgary is indeed uh, age old. I think in, if you look at, I was just for fun, uh, Google that July uh, 2011 visit and immediately saw Mayor Nenshi and the premier at the time who I can't remember and then uh, the prime minister as well, Stephen Harper. But the preparations leading up to the arrival or an advent of a high-profile dignitary is, is a massive undertaking. And I won't, like, derail my sermon into it, but it's actually quite, when you look at the things the city had to do, the police even had to practice doing the, the routine so that they could keep uh, the, the, the dignitaries traveling above the speed limit that they, they would not have to slow down to go through lights and all the rest of it. Anyway, check it out online. It's kind of interesting. So the preparations are huge, and, and everyone waits with eager expectation. And so Paul, in uh, the book of Philippians, the letter to the Philippians, a passage of which we heard read this morning, uh, Philippi is a unique city uh, in, the, in the Roman Empire. And since Rome cannot uh, contain all of those who want to live there, uh, there were different cities around the Roman Empire that populated um, different retired military people, all sorts of people who felt they deserved to live in Rome, wanted to live uh, together in a community, and so uh, Philippi was a Roman colony. It's kind of like a little bit of Italy on foreign soil. And if you were visiting Philippi from another Roman city, so there's not much left of Philippi right now. Um, but visiting, this is, I didn't grab this off the internet. I actually took this picture, by the way, and I figured I needed to make this trip worth it, so I'm showing you it now. So this is like downtown Philippi. You can see those, uh, those colonnades. They would be on other side of the street, and then you could go in and get a kind of some shade as you're walking down through the, the heat of the day doing uh, your shopping and so forth. So this is Philippi. So if you could imagine it in its reconstructed state, if you knew about the culture of the Roman Empire, you would know as soon as you stepped into Philippi that this is a, a town that's not like other uh, Roman cities like Pisidia, Antioch, or um, Iconium, for example. This is Philippi. It's like you are visiting uh, sort of Rome itself um, a thousand miles away. And so, so Philippi is really unique, and so people would speak Latin there as opposed to the language that everyone would speak in the Greco-Roman Empire. 
Greek, yes, Greek. So, so you're speaking Latin. Uh, there's like uh, adherence to various Roman laws and customs. And worship of the emperor would be a really big deal uh, for this. And, and there's, I got to, I mean, I teach the Bible every day. This is what I do. So I'll, I'll throw up, not I'll throw up. I'll th- put up something else <laughs> on the PowerPoint. Um, there's a Greek word that actually describes that if you went to Philippi, um, there's, a, Paul, there's a, a word that Paul uses in Philippians, polytuma, to describe um, what citizens are. It's a word, a Greek word, to describe uh, being a citizen. And so if you were in Philippi, uh, being a polytuma there, a citizen, would be very different than, say, if you were a, a citizen in another um, ro- uh, Roman Empire city, and so we know that being a citizen in the United States is different than being a citizen in Canada. So there's different kind of associations with this term depending on where you live. It's like, you know, Maritimers moving out to Alberta, right? It's, it's different than, Alberta's different than the Maritimes. And, and as this kind of discussion relates to what we're talking about today, very much a part of the fabric of life in a Roman colony like Philippi is, is these, a celebratory entrance specifically of the emperor because, it, right, it's a little bit of Rome on foreign soil and you want to do everything you can to draw attention to this emperor and the good and the gods that he worships and, and the peace that he brings through pushing back hostile nations and so forth and so when, when, a, when an emperor would come to town um, or one of his designates, it's a full-on party. We want to represent our gratitude and, and everything that they have done. And so it's little wonder that Christians were often persecuted so much during this time because they would not worship the emperor. They worship the real emperor, if you will, which is Jesus Christ. And to not worship the emperor, as Christians would do, is political treason. It's like, I don't care what your stinking emperor stands for. He didn't do the things that Jesus Christ has done, which is to bring everlasting peace, everlasting salvation. And so in, in Philippians 3, Paul uses the word polytuma again and to talk about that we are citizens not of this realm, but citizens of heaven, right? We play by a different set of rules, a different way of living. And, and that passage that was read to us this morning from Philippians 2 called the Christ hymn, we serve a, an emperor, right? Jesus Christ, the Lord who lives not for himself, but for the good of others. Doesn't see power as something to be grasped and uh, hung on to and cling to. No, everything that Jesus is about is for the good of us and for the good of the people he reigns over, which is us. And so for Paul, like to live in this way is completely at odds with the way the values and the ideals of Rome, such as looking to political figures for peace and salvation. I'll just throw this in. It's not in my notes. But uh, Philippians, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5 talks about, you know, when people say peace, peace, and security, and security. That's, that's language taken from uh, Roman literature that's associated with, with the emperor and the things that they can bring and do. And Paul's like, hey, don't be fooled and deceived by the promises of, of this worldly governments and the things that they can do. They're all kind of, they're shams, they're parodies. 
you know what a parody is? You ever hear of Weird Al, Michael Jackson saying, just beat it. Weird Al says, just eat it. And that's the kind of thing. I thought that might be more funny, but maybe not. <laughs> anyway, so um, it's like the emperor is, is pretend, right? Offering things that really, at the end of the day, he can't deliver on in the way that Jesus can deliver on these things. And so, so as a Christian living in Philippi, you could see what in the world are, are you people doing by offering such veneration in these, at the advent of an emperor who comes to town and preaches message of peace and salvation, but really, at the end of the day, can't fully deliver on it. And so this Lord, Jesus, though, has yet to appear, right? And Paul describes this in Philippians 3, 20 to 21, where he says, but our citizenship is in heaven, and it is from there that we are expecting, it has not yet happened, in the fullness, the second coming of Christ has not happened, we are expecting a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all language that would describe an emperor, and Paul is reconfiguring it to talk about Jesus. He will transform the body of our humiliation, this thing that's decaying day by day, that it may be conformed to the body of his glory by the power that also enables him to, to oh, that also enables him to make all things subject to himself. And so there is a day coming that the pain you know, uh, Lila alluded to it earlier, right? The, the despair and the hopelessness that we feel will one day, although Jesus meets those needs to a certain point, will be one day fully and finally dealt with. That what is wrong with the world and our lives will be finally set to right. And now, of course, this Lord did arrive 2,000 years ago for the first time, and, and Advent calls us to reflect upon that sort of waiting, right? Where Israel was wanting a Messiah, and life is not as it should be in light of how the Old Testament promised things, and, and that failed to materialize, but eventually that King Jesus did come 2,000 years ago, and and if you read Matthew, he came into a dark and hostile environment. There was, there was no great celebration at his coming, if you read Matthew. And in fact, the, the reigning king at that time felt Jesus was a threat and wanted to uh, overtake him. And Jesus, while his family, had to flee him. And so here we are in Advent, reflecting upon the waiting that Israel endured for a king who would come and fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament. But Advent is also a time of reflecting upon the coming, like Paul said in Philippians 3.20, the coming of Jesus for the final time, where he will fully and finally deal with the sin and evil in this world and bring about righteousness and justice for eternity. So there's the Advent of Jesus as a baby, there's the Advent of Jesus in his second coming, and here we are in this period of waiting, right? Uh, much has changed with Jesus coming, but there's still stuff in this world. It's like, wow, dang, life is really hard. And then eventually Jesus will come in the future, a second advent, to put all to rights. So what are we supposed to do in this meantime other than wait? Well, we aren't going to escape the waiting, that is for sure. But things changed in that first advent, that first coming of Jesus Christ and the work that he did on the cross, right? God, through his Messiah and the Spirit, is present in the world today that in a way that he wasn't before in that first advent. And I think what Paul gives us, and here's the point of the sermon, so get ready for it. And I think what Paul gives us in the passage that I want to just reflect on for a few minutes here is a picture of what it means 
to live and experience both the expectation and fulfillment of Advent. And so there's a slide there um, that is the one where we look back uh, to what Christ has done when he came as a babe and we look forward to that time of, of fulfillment. So Advent has this dual expectation of expectation and fulfillment. Israel waited for Christ and so we wait for Christ uh, to come again. But Christ came and reigns over sin and death and so it's not like we're just in this period of aimless waiting. Stuff has changed, but it hasn't completely changed. And so, if you're still kind of with me, I want to um, have a look at Philippians 4, 4 to 7. If you want to put that up there, I'm going to jump ahead a little bit for the sake of time. Philippians 4, 4. This is a familiar passage, and uh, it reads like this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Pay attention to the bold-faced font. It's important. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And then he says, Do not worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So here's my contention. Here's the big takeaway. Paul recognizes that a lot has changed with the coming of Christ. We have this opportunity to rejoice and to be joyful. But at the same time, there's still stuff that is in the world and in our lives that isn't quite right. And so he talks about the need for protection through the peace of God guarding our hearts and our minds. And I thought, that's a kind of an interesting passage when it's like put together the way it is where Paul's calling us to rejoice, let your gentleness be made known, don't worry, let your requests be made known to God, like there's this mixture of good things, celebration, but also acknowledgement of life is still difficult, but in the very middle of that, we get this very short sentence, the Lord is near. And I won't go into the background of all of this because Trent will be pulling out a cane and ripping me off the platform here in several minutes. But I'll resist that temptation. You can see, see, I get paid to like talk to people, but there's Nathan still on his phone, so it, it, I, I still got a lot of work to do. Um, but nonetheless, nonetheless, what I think Paul is doing in this passage is he's basically reconfiguring a triumphal Advent ceremony for his for his um, readership for his. Corinthian, for his Philippian Christians to help them see that because the Lord is near, he is, it's like every day is an, a day of Advent in the life of the Christian. Every day is a day in which we can experience the nearness of the Lord, that he has arrived, that he has come to be present with us, but it doesn't always mean that life is easy. Okay, so for some of you who might be wondering, wow, that seems kind of a leap. We've talked about these triumphal uh, uh, ceremonies of an emperor coming to town and so forth. How is Paul kind of using that to talk about this passage? Well, let me tell you, since you're, you're asking or maybe you're not. 
So remember that picture of Vespasian with all these people coming to town. They're like, yeah, party. And they're shouting. They would throw flowers and perfume and hail Caesar and all of this. And what does Paul begin this passage with? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And it's linked to the Lord is near. In a triumphal ceremony, you praise the emperor for his, his nearness. And then he says, let your gentleness be made, be made known to everyone. Well, Rob, how does that relate to the idea of a triumphal ceremony? Well, part of a triumphal ceremony is bringing the spoils of war in that parade. So prisoners that were um, maybe other military leaders that you fought and were victorious over were chained up and dragged along to say that hey look what happens when you try to challenge Rome you get shackled and humiliated and dragged through the city but Paul is calling us to live a very different way towards those who are weak who are oppressed he's saying be gentle do not be hostile in fact Jesus came to set uh, the the captives free to proclaim liberty to the oppressed so let your gentleness be made known to all in the midst of the Lord being near do not worry about anything and of course you you would think about these people who are watching the emperor uh, trot by and wondering is life going to be okay how long is the peace of Rome really sustainable can I sleep at night and not worry about you know a, another nation coming into our village and overthrowing things no but for for the triumphal procession the advent that is the Lord Jesus Christ don't worry about everything, but in fact, unlike emperors who you never get near to, by the way, it's like William and Kate, right? When they're whipping down the road, it's not like they stop the car. Hey, how you doing, Will? It's nice to see you. Are you enjoying the visit? No, they're not going to let you near. They whip by. Same thing for a Roman possession. They go by, and you're like, well, I would like to sit down and have a coffee with Vespasian. That's not going to happen. But Paul here is saying, no, the, the Caesar we worship, the Lord we worship is near. We can make our request known to God living under his reign and his guidance and then we get this final last part in the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds if you read this from a Roman perspective that idea of peace is Roman language for the Pax Romana the peace of Rome that the Caesar brings and the idea of guarding is something that that the Roman political establishment does it guards it keeps peace and security but now that's reframed about around this this Lord Jesus Christ who is near and whose reign just brings peace the 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 peace that that Rome brings is through military might and through power and it's like don't you step out of line or you will experience hostility in your own life no this is an invitation to living under the reign of Christ with peace a peace that goes beyond understanding and a peace that guards and protects from hostility and so the question for us in in our lives today what does it mean for us to live um, kind of metaphorically speaking, uh, on, on kind of the side of the, the road, as it were, knowing that the Lord Jesus Christ is near, he's right in front of us. What does it mean for us to appropriate that peace 
that, that, that peace that surpasses our understanding and guards basically our heart and our minds, that, that guards our, our emotions and our logic, right? That, that keeps out things that are hostile. Now, it's not a case that Paul is saying your life is going to be easy if you become a Christian. In fact, you ask those Christians in Philippi, well, they're gone now. But if you could, hey, has your life become better since you became a follower of Jesus? They would probably say, well, in what sense are you asking that question? Um, Is it like in terms of keeping my job and family relationships intact? No, it was a really bad decision because now I'm basically a treasonous um, force in this safe realm of Philippi and people are like, why aren't you worshipping the emperor? You need to worship the emperor, but now you're worshipping this dead messiah who you say is up in heaven somewhere. Don't do it. No, their lives get difficult. But if you ask, how's your life going internally? It couldn't be better because there's something that that has happened within me that has changed how I view the world around me. And I'm not kind of caught up in the rhetoric of Rome, which says peace and security comes from some human being or people claim as some kind of divine figure. It comes from the king of heaven and earth, Jesus himself. And so as we we reflect upon this passage in this Advent season, Christmas is a difficult time for some. For some, it's, it's just difficult because of the busyness. But for some, it's just difficult because of past memories. Maybe the loss of a loved one. Maybe times past when you would gather as a family, but you don't gather in the same way because of strife and difficulty within, within your family realm. Like, it, it, Christmas evokes a lot of difficult emotions for folk. And And when we reflect on this passage and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding guards our hearts and our minds, it's like an acknowledgement that life is difficult. Because if it wasn't difficult, you wouldn't need guarding from anything, right? But when Christ enters in our hearts, there's a sense in which we get a a framework uh, and an ability to kind of view the things around us in a way that makes them more manageable, Right, that, that we don't get overwhelmed by our circumstances. We realize that in this Advent season, Christ has come and we are not alone. We have one who is with us. I think um, who, wherever he is, Dave, prayed this morning Right, that, that, that the, the, the presence of Christ is one who gives gifts. I could go into another passage about that, but I won't. I'll resist it. But it, it, we, we, we do not give gifts to God. He gives gifts to us, right? Because he is a God who's compassionate and caring, who, who well, as Paul says in, it, in Philippians 2, right, doesn't consider equality to be grasped, but lays it down for the good of us, to, to have the mind of Christ, of not considering our own needs, but considering the needs of others. This is the God that we worship. He's continually self-giving. And so as the worship team comes this morning, I just want to provide an opportunity for us to, to basically just do two things. One is just acknowledge and name those things that you feel Man, Lord, I could use a little bit of protection from in terms of the way these, this pain or this struggle in my life kind of just invades my thoughts all the time so that I can't sleep at night. That just makes life difficult. So name those things uh, before God in prayer this morning. And then invite him with prayer and petition. Ask him to draw near to you so that those things just don't quite bite as much. 
right? It's not that we're, we're trying to get in a posture of avoiding all difficult things. We've got to deal with difficult things. We live in a fallen world. We're going to deal with difficult things. But there's something about the presence of God that changes how we can view those difficult things and gives us the strength to, to navigate those difficult things because our Lord is near. He's present with us. And, and, and I invite you this morning as, as the, the team, we're going to sing one more song just to come. And, or if you don't feel like doing that, no problem. Where you are, just name those things and say, Lord, come and be with me in the midst of these things that I'm naming this morning.